All right, writer and director Abby Damaris Corbin, thank you for joining hey, us. Hey, pleasure, guys. Happy to be here. The film is breaking, and it's based on a real-life story. When former Marine Corps supply clerk and Iraq War veteran Brian Easley entered a Wells Fargo in the Atlanta suburbs one afternoon in 2017, Brian goes to a teller, he withdraws a little cash, he slips a piece of paper with a note on it to the teller, and you can watch this on security footage. Abby, what does that note say? I have a bomb. And what happens next? Well, I can't give you too many spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> the, the story of the film, uh, for me, recalls the plot of Dog Day Afternoon, uh, a movie that starred Al Pacino and John Cazale from 50 years ago, 1972, if you can believe it. Uh, that film was also about a bank robbery and hostage scenario in Manhattan. Here we're outside of Atlanta. Like that earlier film, Breaking is also based on an excellent magazine article. Abby, can you tell us first how you came to this story? And second, how you were able to orchestrate the creation of this film? Sure. First off, got to talk about Dog Day. So I'll get to your questions in a second. But touchstone powerhouse performance, Al Pacino. You can't ignore that film as a director. (laughs) As an actor, it's what every actor aspires to do in terms of breaking open their soul to share truth. So just that and aside, now we get into breaking, (laughs) Uh, uh, breaking. I read the article by Aaron Gell. I didn't know uh, Brian Brown Easley's name before that. I didn't know what he wanted to be heard. I, I hadn't heard his story. That was one of the many. And I got a text message from my manager saying, Hey, have you read this story? It's in Task and Purpose. He knew, uh, Max, that my dad's a vet, Vietnam, Navy. He contracted Agent Orange during his time there. My dad's gone from being an athlete to being in a wheelchair throughout the course of my life due to that, due to the waiting, really. And when I read Brian's story, I recognized a lot of the righteous rage that I saw and my dad that I saw in other veterans. And I really wanted it to be heard. And so the military touches most of the players in this story. Um, And I'm wondering what was Brian's relationship with the military before he gets out, before 2017 and the events of the film breaking? uh, What was it like for him in the Marine Corps? Because he's played in riveting fashion, by the way, by John Boyega in the film. Uh, You mentioned Al Pacino, maybe his predecessor in such a role. Uh, But I read that Brian was a quiet boy. He was the youngest of eight brothers and sisters. He grew up in New Jersey. He was an introvert, sensitive. Uh, Like many of us who joined, he may have entered the service uh, in search of a new self and identity. Uh, What can you tell us about Brian's military experience in the Marine Corps? Like many people, Brian was looking for belonging, to my understanding. We worked with his wife, Jessica, to understand more of that. We delved into his background as thoroughly as possible. We listened to him and he was looking for a belonging, for a a brotherhood of sorts, from our understanding. His wife described him as a bird, as someone who longed to, to be free, to, who had a poetry about him. And it's really hard to tie a bird down. And like many people's mental health, it's really complicated, his relationship 
to the military because it became a sort of family from my understanding with a, a relationship that just didn't provide a home base. When I was a Marine, I know, and you know, I read the task and purpose article also. I mean, if anyone that served in the military, it's kind of obvious in some ways that <clears throat> whether you like it or not, the military becomes your family. And John and I had both served together, and it wasn't until I was about to retire that he warned me about getting out. And he had served six years, I think. But at that time, he, he warned me about getting out and uh, the sense of loss that you will have by leaving that brotherhood. But I'm not even sure that's the word he used. But I also wonder for him if there were things with his family. I mean, if his family life seemed pretty good. He got along with his uh, next oldest brother, I guess, but it didn't say much about his family life or his relationship with his other siblings other than that. Uh, was it the, his brother James, I think it was, that he had developed a relationship with? And I think kids in the military that don't have that stability outside of the military have an even harder time when they do depart from the military. Do you have anything to add to that? It's it's just so complicated. It's it, it, For us, the entry point for Brian was understanding what happened that day. Because you, you start to go into his past and it's layer upon layer, it's history upon history. So what we tried to do was to show hints of that, the history, but in the context of that day. So in one phone call with Mike, you see a snapshot of that brotherhood that, that Brian felt in the military where they're talking about bubblegum bullets and, and a Hollywood veneers. And we hinted that camaraderie and we see what, what Brian could have been because Mike's character, he's much more established. We see pigs that he cares for in his, in his yard, in his home. We see life that has been lived where he's been able to acclimate. And yes, he has an ex-wife as well, but he, he found stability. So we see a contrast there with how Brian was able to acclimate a what could have been but for. And we came back to that but for a lot in, in the crafting of Brian, what could have been but for. And the but for informs the the circumstances, the, the, the layers of mental trauma that go into how Brian responds to a simple question. And so we'll get to Michael K. Williams, who plays the negotiator in the film, uh, the late, great Michael K. Williams. Uh, but back to the events of the film as it opens. It's more than 10 years after Brian has separated. It's the word we use for leaving the military. The word itself implies being on your own and alone. Brian's a 33-year-old. He's living in a cheap motel. He has a daughter he rarely sees, though he wants to relate to her. He works odd jobs. He's enrolled in a for-profit education program, but he's missed some classes. He's making trips to the VA. Then he goes to the Wells Fargo trying to get $892 in VA money. Uh, he claimed to have a bomb with him, and the scenario ensues. Did Brian put himself in an impossible situation that day? Yes, really. But I think he was in an impossible situation before he walked into that bank. <laughs> we don't always have good choices straight up. Life is, is a lot of, you've got two bad choices. What do you do? And for a man who's that polite, who's that concerned with other people's emotional states, listening to the tapes of Brian and watching that security footage, who you see a man 
who is pretty demure, his body language, his, 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 uh, posture, the way that he moves is graceful is, is, um, there's a lot of shame. There's, there's a self-awareness for a man who has those characteristics to walk into a bank and to combust, to essentially become a bomb. It takes a lot. It takes a lot. And so you studied those tapes of him that day in the Wells Fargo. You watched the video, you listened to it more obviously than ever could have made it into the film. What struck you about Brian that day in watching him relate to people and the watching the way that he talked, you talked about his empathy. Tell us more. The way that he interacted with people who weren't helpful. I, I was really struck by that. I, I remember this one point because I, I, I listened to the tapes a, a bunch of times and just, you know, walking around with my, with my headphones. And I remember listening to one of the 911 calls where Brian's on the phone with one of the operators, clearly discarding these, this man's words, like straight up ignoring him. And he's so gentle with her. He's, and you can hear that he understands she's just not hearing him. And there's just a gentleness, a kindness that struck me. I, I remember literally falling back on my bed at one point. She, she's literally, <laughs> I think she's eating in his ear on the phone. Um, <laughs> it's wild that this happens on, in the middle of this bank heist. And that's one of the reasons Kwame and I felt like this has to be pen to paper because there's so much that happens that you're like, what? This, this is real life. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And you're capturing that in the film. I mean, it's not just a total thrill ride. Uh, there's moments of comedy and levity uh, during this hostage scenario. Was it tough to blend all of those ingredients? In a short packed film? One would think, but life is like that. You're laughing one second, you're crying the next. You're laughing while you're crying. <laughs> I remember uh, I was at a funeral with my husband and <laughs> comedy, when tension's so high, when hearts are so heavy, one little thing can set you off and you just start laughing. <laughs> and it might seem really inappropriate to people who aren't there. But for Brian, like, what are you going to do? You're in the middle of the situation. You know, you're probably not walking out of. Um, yeah. And John, yeah. John Boyega carries that. I think that your lead actor kind of carries that. And uh, I recommend watching the film for the visceral effect of Brian's story. Reading the article is one thing to watch the way that you pace this and bring in all of these different elements of his character, make it more real. Uh, I also recommend though, reading about the police officers involved. We talked about Michael K. Williams, who plays a negotiator. After shutting down the bank and taking two women hostage, police arrive on the scene and they form a perimeter. In real life, that negotiator uh, who built rapport with Brian had also been an enlisted Marine. And it creates this, this really interesting connection of two men who shared a lot in common. What was it like creating their relationship between Michael K. Williams, the negotiator, and John Boyega, who plays Brian? Uh, what was it like creating their relationship in film? A couple layers to that. John and Mike had a really natural chemistry. You hear Mike's voice. It's this honey meets gravel kind of purity to it. You are creating a relationship over the phone. So you're just hearing someone's voice. That voice has to be trustworthy. It has to be calming. It's got to be paced. You read a lot about, I read a lot about negotiators and how they interact with people that they're trying to talk off. And Mike had done the same. He'd had 
phone conversations like that with people in his life who'd had a lot of mental health crises. And he knew inherently the cadence of such things. And you really have to, to honor the training that, that these negotiators go through in the midst of that. Yes, sometimes it, it can be a repeated thing, but the reason it's repeated is because this works with people that are at crisis points. And when I talked with the negotiator who, who talked to Brian in real life, he cared for him. He recognized in him a man who was at his, his breaking point, his crisis point, his combustion point, and he wanted to reach through. So he had this really boyish kind of kindness to him. And Mike captured that in his, in his gentle way of talking to Brian. But he, the thing about their relationship is that he didn't baby him. He told him the hard truth because he felt like Brian hadn't gotten that from other people. And that was really respectable. He talked to him about honor, didn't exactly. he? Didn't that come up in their conversation? Exactly. It was unexpected. Military past. Again, it's a theme in the, in the story for everyone involved. You mentioned your own father. I understand it's a part of your past as well. Can you tell us a little about your father, your family, and your relationship with the military growing up? Yeah. I grew up with a lot of respect for the military. My dad, like I mentioned, is a Navy guy and spent a good chunk of his, his early years uh, with my mom in, in the Navy. And so I, I heard stories from their life there. My dad traveled all over the world with the Navy and he would tell me about the suits that he had made in the Philippines. And I, I heard I heard the honor, but my dad doesn't talk so much about the cost of, of those years. We experienced the cost of those years. My dad, one of my dad's close friends was a fellow vet who actually, he gave me my first camera and about three weeks later, he committed suicide. And I saw firsthand what it meant to, to not really have someone integrated fully and not feel like they could share. I didn't really understand it. I was pretty young, but as you come into adulthood, you realize you you need to see people. And Brian's story, I'm so grateful for the gift of, of living through his story, talking to his wife. It's helped me to see a lot more. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. That's the difficult part about transition is as part of the brotherhood, there is when you're in the military, there's always someone to go to when you have a problem. And it's partially because it's someone else's responsibility. You know, if you're having an issue, your chain of command, the people above you are responsible for you. Now, those equal to you in rank and age and whatnot are somewhat responsible to you, but not quite so much, but they take the brunt of the work. But when you get out of the military, all that evaporates and you have no support network other than your own family. Um, to me, and when in reading the task and purpose story, it seemed like when his parents died, although it wasn't emphasized in that story, probably was a significant point for him because he didn't have that support network he had in the military and his parents were now gone. 
this all kind of intertwines with the story you just told about your father as well. Can you elaborate on that? My dad's tried to get his, his benefits for Agent Orange for a long time. And I'm sure you guys are pretty aware of, of uh, what that looks like for vets. There's a lot of every week kind of things with the VA where you're trying to push the appeal through and you're trying to get approvals for this and for that health thing. And there's so many things that prop up through Agent Orange that it's just there's no history of this in our family. And it's not on the list of Agent Orange symptoms. And yet, you know, um, so it's been a lot of very direct learning to how to manage it, how to make sure that my dad doesn't feel alone through that. That's not an easy thing. And feeling alone is a big theme in the film. Uh, the one thing that's lavished on you in the Marine Corps or the military is the energetic attention of others. Uh, first, it's your drill instructors, your combat instructors after that, your squad mates and so on. You're always in a group. Somebody's always watching you, maybe too much. Somebody's <laughs> always talking to you, maybe, maybe too much. But then once it's over uh, at four years or 40, uh, you come home to face yourself alone, generally. And Brian, by all accounts, was successful. He served an enlistment. He was in Kuwait. He was in Iraq. He deployed to war. He received his honorable discharge in 2005. Um, but then he was separated in the official language. Why did this man succeed in the Marines and then suffer at home? If you had to put a point on it, Abby. It's so complicated. It's so complicated. I think it, it, it comes back to all those things that we're talking about, it's the, the isolation, the um, community resources, the fact that he was caring for his mother and uh, she passed and she was an anchor, um, the fact that his mental health started to, to deteriorate and there wasn't an immediate line to be able to get care for that. Um, in fact, there was obstacles to get care for that. Um, the fact that he couldn't find a purpose, uh, he, he was struggling to find a, a path for vocation for uh, integration. He, he was working multiple jobs and then he was ill and he was in school. And each time it's harder to, to go back and to, to find purpose within yourself and your vocation. You, feel, you start to feel like, I don't matter. There's no place in society in which I'm valued. And then because of that, then you start to infuse that into your personal relationships, into your daughter, your, your wife, and then that starts to fall apart. So it, 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 all of the building blocks that holds you up as a person, um, that you're also feeling the obligation to hold up yourself, you're failing at. So it, it chips away at your very soul and it tells you you're not enough. And when you feel that, it's a really hard point to come back from. I do think that on, on some level, everyone feels that, that they're not enough. I, I feel that. And I have an incredible support network, not having served in the Marines, but it, it, it shows me the value of that, of people that are around me to help me get out of bed. And Brian just didn't have that there were there's cracks and then there's chasms right and and right. he's he was in a chasm and the film uh, we're talking about today with writer and director abby damaris corbin is breaking it's out august 26th 
Uh, it's about a former Marine uh, who holds up a bank. Uh, the film is thrilling and tense, uh, but it's more than just a movie. This is also the tragic and final day in a man's life. What questions remain unanswered for you after researching, writing, creating this film, bringing it into the world, sharing it with people? What questions remain? Where's the VA? Uh, We ended the film on this note. There's good folks at the VA. I've encountered quite a few of them. But the bureaucracy is so, so immense that it's really hard to navigate. if, If all of the people in my family can't navigate through it. <laughs> How is one man who's, who's living on his last dime to navigate through that? I tried I, to mirror Brian's path going through this to try and see, can I, can I, you know, get through? Um, not, not so much. We've screened this film in DC. Still haven't heard word uh, with what's going on with, with Brian's payment. His wife hasn't received his death benefits. Uh, I think that's the wrong term there, but they still still mm-hmm. haven't. What, what do you mean you 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 tried to see if you could figure out the VA? That, that makes me curious. What, <laughs> this what did is my, you do? Uh, hey, I want to see if I'm Brian Brown easily. And I know the systems have changed in, in the course of when I was making this film to when Brian was accessing it. But my co-writer and I, Kwame, we, we wanted to see as we were writing it, can we navigate through the streets that we went to Atlanta. We went to the hotel rooms that Brian stayed in. We, we looked through the drawers in there. We walked the paths, we walked through the bank, we walked those things. So we did the same with the VA systems to try and go through online, the portals that Brian right. would have to navigate through. And man, <laughs> it's an <laughs> abyss. <laughs> and I, I'd it been through abyss. this with my dad, but, it's, it's, it's very, very hard to navigate and it just shouldn't be so. And to even qualify, there's shame and, and, and dishonor and even trying to qualify for some of those things within the communities that Brian was in. And it's just, it's really hard. It's really hard. So lots of unanswered questions, but it kept bringing myself and, and my colleagues back to one core thing of Okay, so if the system itself is so overwhelming and hard to navigate through, we can't ignore that. Systems need changing, but what can we do where we are? And that's the thing that you come back to. We can see each other where we are and change the lives of the people that are within our spheres. And that then has an effect that compounds over time. And that changes the system. A cog can move a machine if the cogs start to turn and it turns the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. So it gave us great hope uh, that those questions can change. And it gave me great hope for the VA change, just seeing how this film came together and so many people care, caring about Brian's story. When this is not a film that Hollywood typically is going to make bank off of. It's one man's story who uh, our financiers invested in thinking it may never see a profit. Um, Of course, I hope that, you know, tons and tons of people go see the box office, but our financier at the end of the day knows that he's in this because he wants the story told and that's enough. 
And that's, that gives me hope. That's very rare. And yeah, Dave, you had something? Yeah. I was thinking, I read one review that kind of upset me. I won't even name it right now, but it was as though the person reviewing missed the whole point of the movie. And it's not just about Brian. It's about what you just said about the VA. And I've encountered the VA personally myself recently. And it's, and I won't get into specifics, but you know, there's specific care here and there that can be very good, but overall, I mean, you get lost in the system. Like I just got a primary care doctor, but yet if I go online, she's nowhere to be found. Um, but that's what I hope that people take away from this movie. And this critic review I read misses, I think, is the greater point of the veteran struggle once they depart from the military. And then, two, if they do encounter the VA system, how problematic and troublesome it is. And when they don't have the support network at home that they need, it's got to come from somewhere. And if the VA can't do it, then what are we supposed to do? That's great. Um, again, the film is breaking. It hits theaters August 26th. Later this week, we're talking with writer and director Abby Damaris Corbin. Uh, Abby, thank you for your time today. Thank you, guys. Really an honor to be here. I I've feel like I've tried to live in your community very much so for for the um, duration of our project. And I've just learned so much and I'm really grateful. And it's a military story, but universal themes, universal feelings, uh, total great compassion. Thank you, Abby, for your time. Such a pleasure. Thank you.